0: The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, well, this past year, we have looked at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and maybe maybe uh, uh, to—I don't know about you, uh, but it was a blessing to my soul— And I hope it was as much to yours as we studied the letter to the Ephesians this year. We're not getting away from it, though, quite yet. Uh, This morning, while we took a year to see what Paul said to the Ephesians, this morning, we're going to look and see what 30 years later Jesus said to the Ephesians in Revelation chapter 2. And so just to set the stage a little bit for you, Revelation 1.9 says that the Apostle John, he was exiled to an island called Patmos, as punishment, it says, for proclaiming the word of God in the testimony of Jesus. And at this time, John was likely in his early 90s. And he was banished by the Roman Empire to essentially a labor camp there where they busted rock at Patmos. Imagine doing that in your 90s. But but then one day while in this labor camp the apostle John receives a vision and in part of that vision the resurrected Christ the one John had walked for walked with and lived with for 3 years of his life he came to John and he said this write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches what well, one of those seven churches is this church at Ephesus and so with that being said let's look at Revelation chapter Two, we'll start in verse one. Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, now, as you know, if you've read through the book of Revelation, you know that the book of Revelation is filled with a lot of symbolism And so this word angel here could also be translated as messenger, and it's most likely referring to the pastor of Ephesus. And these seven stars, these seven lights, they are pointing to, they are referring to the seven churches that Jesus is speaking to and then the seven golden lampstands that gold is symbolic of in the old testament If you if you've read through exodus lately in the layout of the tabernacle There would be some things that were to be laden in, in bronze some things laden in, in silver and some things laden in, in Gold and so the idea of it being laden in, in gold is is that these lampstands they are sanctified They are set apart for a holy purpose And so jesus he's in the midst of these seven churches. He's walking around them And he's he's examining them. He's examining their health, their hearts, their fervency, their fidelity to him, their purity, their love, or lack thereof. How many of you have had to go to the urgent care or the ER to get an x-ray? Probably most, I would say probably most, if not all of us in this room, right? And so you go into the big room, right? They got the big machine. You wear that heavy shield to protect you. You hear some clicks. You go back to the waiting room, and then in walks the doctor with the photographs. What does he do? Right, he puts it on the, the white little panel with the backlight, turns the lights on, and through the X-ray, you're able to see beneath the surface to what's really going on with your bones. Well, listen, Jesus, he is able to look beyond the surface into in, into each one of your hearts. And so if he were to walk around this morning, what would he see? Would he see a church that is pursuing holiness? Would he see hearts full of obedient love for him? Or would he maybe see a heart that has drifted from him? If he were to set his glance upon you, what would he see? Well, if that's with that being said, let's look at verses 2 and three, and we'll see our first point this morning, and that is that Jesus praises the church of, at Ephesus for their faithfulness. Jesus is praise for faithfulness. Let's read. Jesus says this. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you found them to be false. I, I know you're enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown Weary. And so if you'll notice with me, what are those first two words that Jesus says? What does he say? He says, I know. Right? We we can fool others. We can hide from other people. But you can't fool Jesus. He knows all things. And he knows everything about you. And, And so let this be a word of both caution and a word of comfort. A word of caution. You cannot, church, we cannot hide our sin from Jesus. He knows. He already knows. So because of that, bring your sin to him this morning. Repent of any known sin. Confess it to him because, listen, he knows already. He said, I know. But then also let it be a word of comfort to you also. Listen, Jesus, he knows. He knows when you're up here at the church cleaning when you're fixing something here, when you're helping with administrative tasks, when you're praying for our church and interceding for your fellow members, when you're in your prayer closet doing that, he knows. He knows when you're giving sacrificially above and beyond, when you're selflessly serving and investing in the children's ministry when you, or other ministries of our church, when you're helping your neighbor with, uh, in, in those in society that are deemed as unlovable, when you're freely giving up your time to do physical and spiritual good to other people, Right? Maybe when you you have that opportunity to share the gospel with that person in the grocery store or your neighbor or that technician who comes to fix your appliances. Listen, when no one else sees Jesus, he knows. Jesus says, I know. And so may that truth in church, may that spur us on to continue faithfully serving our Lord Jesus Christ, both in the shadows and in the spotlight. All the same, because wherever we are, our Savior, he sees And he knows. Jesus says he knows the spiritual activity and the works of the Ephesian church. Now notice he commends them for their patient endurance. And that word literally means to be able to endure, to bear up under a heavy load. And so Jesus is saying, in effect, I know you've been giving, you serve sacrificially me for many decades. And I commend you for that. So Jesus commends them for their deeds. But then also Jesus commends the Ephesian church for their doctrine. Throughout the years, the Ephesian church, they had an impressive, stable and pedigree of pastors and teachers. The, the, the first to lead the church, right, if you don't remember, it was Priscilla and Aquila. And then after that came Apollos and then Paul pastored there for a time. And then after that, Timothy, Paul's son in the faith. And then if it couldn't get even any better, the apostle John himself pastored there as well. I mean, I mean, could you get a better lineup than that? Right. They couldn't. No, probably not. So they were well taught. There were a well-taught church, and it showed. Jesus commends for how well they divided doctrine. He commends them for their discernment. And and if you look with me at verse 6, he commends them for their disdain for evil, that they hated the work of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans were most likely a sect within the church, pushing for a loosening of sexual ethics and for a grace-without-obedience kind of living. It's what we call today antinomianism. That just basically means anti-law, where all grace, no constraints kind of living. And so Jesus commends them for their hatred of this sin within the church because Jesus says, I also hate the work of the Nicolaitans. So now if we were to stack up the Ephesian church, uh, some of you know we, we, we align with nine marks of a healthy church. But if, they, if we were to stack them up to all the metrics of a healthy church, this church would check all the boxes. They would be the first church you would see that would pop up on the website. They had holy fervor. They had sound doctrine. They were sacrificially serving and more. On the outside and looking in, this seemed to be a healthy church. But Jesus wasn't on the outside looking in, was he? No, he was looking straight to the heart. And he said this, look with me in verse four. He said, you're doing all these wonderful things, but. And I, I can just imagine, right, when the, when the Ephesians are, are hearing this letter written, read to them, all of a sudden their, their, their stomach drops, right? What is Jesus about to say? He says, wonderful things, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So second this morning, we see Jesus's problem with lovelessness commenting on this verse uh, a pastor hb charles he said this he said there is great danger of having everything as as a church except the main thing now listen most likely this this lack of love it didn't happen overnight no most likely it was a slow drift right a generational decline This is what happens when your love for Jesus isn't daily cultivated. In effect, Jesus is saying to the Ephesians, and maybe to you also this morning, you've stood stood strong on doctrine. You've been active in ministry. You've even held the moral high ground amid a wicked culture. You're doing these great things, but you've left your first love. If we're not careful... Our love for Christ can become routine. You read your Bible. You pray. You come Sunday morning. You give. You serve in a ministry. Outside looking in, man, this person loves the Lord. And you do in principle. You love the Lord in principle. You're not entangled in some great sins. You're remaining faithful to Christ in a wicked world like the Ephesians were. But your love has become routine. It's grown a bit cold. It's not what it used to be. Maybe like the Ephesians, maybe you've abandoned. Maybe you've left. Maybe you've neglected your first love. Outside looking in, Ephesus was the model church. If someone were to come up to them and ask them, how are you growing in the Lord? They would say, you know, I've been faithfully doing the spiritual disciplines. I've been reading Wayne Wayne Grudem's systematic theology every night. I'm regularly serving in ministries. I'm giving generously to the church. God's really been blessing this season of life. That's maybe how they would have answered that question. But if you were to pull up the hood, if you were to take a closer look, what was missing was a white-hot, passionate, pursuing love for Jesus Christ. Listen, it is entirely possible to faithfully serve the Lord while your heart is far from him. How easy it is to replace our affections and our hearts with activity in our lives. Look, Lord, look look at all I'm doing for you. Don't you see that I love you? For the Ephesians, a life devoted to Christ and a heart consumed with love for him was replaced with a doctrinal and dutiful coldness. How many of you know that couple? Maybe, maybe they've grown older, maybe not, uh, but in uh, various seasons of life, but that couple, they're committed to one another, yet they've grown maybe relationally distant from each other. right? They're not going anywhere. They're staying with one another, but the love, it's just gone. There, there's fidelity to one another, but it's a fidelity without that first love, without that honeymoon love, without that affectionate kind of love for one another. Well, that's the picture that Jesus is painting here with the Ephesians. Now, the Ephesians might have responded with, look, Lord, Lord, look at all that we have done for you. Of course, we love you. What Jesus is saying, though, is those things, they're nice. But what I desire is you. I don't want you just doing things for me while you stay at arm's length from me. Jesus is saying, I want you I want your heart. The the Ephesian church, they had inverted Jesus's words in John 14, 15, when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. They got those backwards. Over time, they had begun to think that obedience equals love. While Jesus is saying, no, if you love me, your love will be demonstrated through obedience. And, And to be sure, there is no true love for Christ apart from obedience. But they got mixed up the age old riddle. Which comes first? The obedience or the love? Their priority was obedience. But Jesus' priority is love. A love that produces, that springs forth, joyful obedience to Him in all things. Well, we've been looking at the Ephesians, but I asked this morning, how about how about you? How's your heart? Have you left? Have you abandoned? Have you forsaken, neglected your first love? Oh, no, maybe not intentionally, but maybe gradually over time, your affectionate love for Christ isn't what it used to be. I know the Lord has convicted me in my heart when preparing this sermon of word. there are areas in my own life where I have neglected. I have left, abandoned my first love, and I pray he's doing the same for you right now. But the good news, church, the good news is Jesus doesn't just confront them with their sin. Jesus provides a path for restoration. And we'll see in point number three here, it's Jesus's path to restoration. Read with me verse five. Jesus says this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So Jesus says, remember and so listen, church, the way you cultivate once again your first love for Christ is daily remembering what it was like when you were first held in the grip of grace. That's why I say constantly, daily, daily, we must remind ourselves of the gospel. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. And in this word remember, it, it's the idea of keep on remembering It's not a one-time remembrance. It's not like every now and then when you think about it, remember. No, it's a daily dwelling upon the gospel. It is regularly remembering what your life was like before you knew the Lord. And better yet, remembering the unfathomable peace, the unspeakable joy, and the unquenchable love you had for Jesus when you heard those words pronounced over you, forgiven. Just take a second. Remember that day. Remember your first love you had for Jesus. It's a remembering of the sweet and unrushed fellowship you had with the Lord. When all you wanted to do was linger in his presence. It's remembering when your heart burned to see other people come to know Jesus. When your heart's desire and your life's ambition was to seek after and to see Jesus save the lost. It's a remembrance of your insatiable hunger for the word of God. How like Joshua, you would wake up before dawn and you would stay up late in the night just reading and meditating on the word of the Lord. It's a remembrance of when you could not get over the breadth, the length, the height and the depth of Jesus's love for you. And though it felt like you had reached its limit because it seemed just too great for you, you would wake up the next day. And that next day, you would experience an even even greater depth of Jesus' love. You knew the love of Christ that surpassed knowledge. It's it's a remembrance of when it was your singular and ultimate goal in life. To say, along with the Apostle Paul, that I may know him. Those days when, when you didn't want more religion. You didn't want just more spiritual activity. You didn't want just more head knowledge. You wanted to know Christ, to know him. This remembrance, it is remembering when your heart erupted in love and desire and longing with the Apostle Peter when he said this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And it's a remembrance of those emotions that would flood your heart when you read the words in Revelation 22 that said, There's coming today, church, when we will see the face of Jesus. This is what Jesus is calling you to remember. Remember your first love. But also the path of restoration. Jesus is calling us to repent. Now, repentance, it is painful, isn't it? How many of you enjoy how many of you in this room enjoy surgery and any any takers? How many of you enjoy surgery? No one. Right. But you enjoy what the surgery fixes and produces. Right. You enjoy the results of the surgery. Ideally, ideally speaking. Listen, repentance, it is heart surgery. It, It is painful to be confronted and to be honest with your sin. It is much easier to dismiss it away and to pretend that your love for God, it's good to go, even when you know it is not. It's painful to confess that in light of all that God has done for you, in light of what Christ endured for you on the cross, and in light of his immeasurable love for you, it's painful to admit your love has waned. But listen, church, God's call to repent is also his call to return. God's call to repent of your sin is his call to return to him. The the Holy Spirit's conviction, which I pray some of you are feeling right now, it it is not a voice of condemnation. It is the voice of correction and redirection for your life. To repent is to return, to make a U-turn of your ways, and to return to the way of God. Recently with one of our children, I'm going to keep it uh, uh, generic, uh, but, but I have been ha- having to work with them a lot, trying to help. I'm sticking to my notes so I don't uh, tell you who it is. Uh, trying to help them to see whether it is better to choose the path of sin, which leads to death, or if it's better to choose the path of Jesus, which leads to abundant eternal life. And while maybe it's more pronounced in a child's life, we have that same choice every single day. Will I choose the path of sin. Or will I choose, that leads to death? Or will I choose the path of Jesus that leads to life? Listen, this morning, the Lord is calling you to repent because the Lord and his grace is calling you to return back home and to repeat the works you once did. Jesus's path of restoration. It is the path of remembering. It is the path of repenting, of returning and of repeating the works you once did. So so what are the consequences if we don't do that? If we harden our heart this morning, what does Jesus say? Look with me, verse five. He says this. He says, remember, repent. Remember, repent, return, repeat. But if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, while it is true that individual Christians are eternally secure, this is not the case for the local church. If we are just to presume that God's favor will remain on this church despite our lack of love, then listen, we are delusioned and deceived. What, what, what does this mean? It means that your personal walk with the Lord as a member of this church, it has a direct effect on the witness of New Life Baptist Church and on whether or not Jesus's presence in his favor continues to rest among us. Notice that word Jesus uses, lampstand. Jesus, he's pulling this imagery back from the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. In in Exodus 25 and 26, the Lord instructed Moses to make a lampstand of pure gold and then to place it in the holy place, opposite of the bread of the presence. And its purpose was to indicate symbolically to the people of Israel that God's presence would remain and abide and dwell with them. And so here, just like in Exodus, Jesus uses this symbol of the the lampstand to indicate his abiding presence within and among his churches. So listen, what Jesus is saying is this. If the members of the Ephesian church and New Life Baptist church today, if they would not repent of their lack of first love and return to him, he would then remove their lampstand. He would remove his abiding presence from among them. Listen, it does not get more serious than this. I, I, I mean this seriously, church family. It would be better for New Life Baptist Church to cease to exist than for Jesus to remove his, the lampstand from among us. It would, better, it would be better that we are not, that the doors are shuttered than for Jesus not to be here. So do you feel the weight of what Jesus is saying? There are many churches like the church of Ephesus who coast on their laurels of the glory days. Maybe they care more about upholding their legacy than they do about loving their Lord. And so what's the result? Jesus removes his presence and his favor from among them. Oh sure, they may still exist. Maybe they continue to do programs and activities and fill the week with ministries and serving opportunities. But they cease to do anything of spiritual significance for the kingdom of God. Because their lampstand is removed and the manifest presence of Jesus is no longer there. And so may that not be so for our church. Should we be grateful to the Lord for his wonderful works of the past? Absolutely. But are we to look back on the glory days as the Ephesian church did as an excuse for not pursuing the Lord today? Absolutely not. Listen, I, I thank God. I praise him for what he did in the Gracemont days and in previous seasons of our church's life. But listen, the Lord still desires to use us today in this season of our church. But he will not if there remains among us any unrepentant lovelessness toward him. Jesus says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And so I asked before, but I say again, how is your heart? Is it being warmed by the fire of Christ's love for you? Or has it grown cold because you've drifted away from your first love? Our prayer is that you see the seriousness of your condition. Not not just for your own sake, but for the sake of your church as well. And then that you remember, repent, return, and repeat. If you do this, if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, with His hand He will take hold of you. He will grab you in His hand, in His grip of grace, and He will bring you back to Himself. So may God. Revive within us again our first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, we see in verse 7, Jesus' promise of eternal life. In verse 7, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So don't just hear, but obey. Respond. Don't harden your heart. Respond to the Lord. Jesus continues, he says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so listen, church, we remember, we repent, we return, and we repeat in view of what's coming for us one day. When on that day the veil will be lifted, when your love for Christ will be perfected, and when you will forever experience the immeasurable fullness of Jesus' perfect love for you. That's coming. That is in our future. And so listen, in light of that good news, don't delay. Return to him today. In conclusion, um, we'll, we'll, end, we'll end in this way. Um, the, the, this is a bit maybe of speculation on my part, but, but I don't think the Ephesian church, if you'll remember Ephesians chapter three, Paul's prayer there, uh, I, I don't think the Ephesian church forgot to pray this prayer. And you'll see it in the handout of, of your bulletin. Uh, they, they may have prayed it even religiously, claiming it as their own But but remember, Jesus' letter to them, it was written about 30 years after Paul penned his. And so somewhere along the way, this prayer, it stopped flowing from their heart. And they began only praying it from their head. And so how we're going to end our service this morning is we're going to spend some time praying through that prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And I encourage you, don't rush through this time. Don't just pray from your head. Engage your heart as you pray. Pour your soul out before the Lord. Plead with him, and if needed, repent to him. Ask him for his grace to revive within you your first love. Pray this prayer for yourself, for your fellow members, and for me as your pastor. And I want to encourage you, don't leave this time of prayer. Until you've met with the Lord. And then in a little bit, Mike will begin singing. And so whenever your heart's desire is in alignment with the words of the song, I want to encourage you to stand, to sit however you want to, but to join in singing as well. And then then final thing. Maybe you are here this morning and maybe you've never experienced the deep love of Jesus for you. Maybe you don't have a first love because you've never experienced his love love for the first time. And if that is you in this moment right now, Jesus is calling you to turn from your sin, to trust in his salvation and, to ex- and for you to experience the fullness of his love for you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.